Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Take your Bibles, please. Our text, our main text will be in 1 Peter chapter 3, although we will start uh, hold your finger there. We'll start in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 might be a better place for you to head as we begin this morning's message on family matters. Talking today about a subject that's pretty difficult to talk about. Whether you're a man or a woman, we all struggle with the issue of submission. It is God's choice cosmetic for the home. We're going to look at that. And uh, don't worry, men, we will. I'll be talking primarily to you after the conference is over, as we finish up the series on roles and responsibilities in the family, we'll end our series with directly uh, mentioning God's call for men to be leaders in the home. Today, it is more, uh, more at least a little bit more focused on the ladies. That's how Peter does that uh, for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, but all of us need to understand that submission is God's calling for all of us. I think we all struggle with it. Whether you're parked at a stoplight and you're kind of chomping at the bit to keep moving or whether you have to pay your taxes or get along with folks in the home or whatever it is, we all struggle with placing ourselves under in rank, that's what submission means, in order for the best, God's best for someone else. It is taking a low view of ourselves and of course, glorifying God by responses to others places our desire and our will under the will of God for the best of others to lower ourselves in rank as a soldier in order that we might lift other people up. How do you do with submission to Christ? John fourteen fifteen is convicting. If you love me, what does the Bible say? If ye love me, keep my commandments. How are you doing with God's commandments? He goes on to say in verse 21, same chapter, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, it is he that loveth me. You might say that you're submitted to God, but if you're not keeping his commandments, truth is we're not walking in obedience. Here's another. How are you doing with submission to others? Ephesians 5.21 says this isn't just a, a wife's thing. It's all of us. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. A little girl was standing uh, up and really being really kind of disobedient, defiant to her mom, and her mom sent her to the corner of the room. How many of you, <laughs> oh, you can remember back, my, I can still feel the two faces of the walls. They meet in the corner against my cheeks. Mom would send me, you go stand in the corner, son. That's, the, that's not how you talk to me. And I remember my face pressed against that cold wall. And he, she sent her little daughter to the corner for her defiant attitude. About after five minutes, she came to ask the little girl if her little girl had learned her lesson yet. Her response was, Mom, I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down in my heart. <laughs> How are you doing? Are you in a place of forced compliance when it comes to your walk with the Lord? You may be submitted on the outside, but inside you're resisting God. Did you know there is a sweet, sweet fragrance 
to submission. It is a perfume like no other. And Peter will tell us that there is the fragrance of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the price of God, and in the sight of God, a great, a great price. Well, this morning, as I was studying for our lessons, especially directed toward the home and toward a woman's role in the home, I was thinking about this. Peter begins as a preamble to what the ladies are supposed to do in the home. He starts by saying, you need to be submitted like I was submitted to my Father. I thought that's a great place to start today. So let's go to Matthew chapter 27. God isn't asking us. He's not asking um, our wives, our spouses to do anything that He and His Spirit has not already set for us as an example. So let's start with what is, I think, pivotal in understanding the whole subject I've reminded you that the reason God has put, put us in families is that we might reflect His own grace and love for the church. You see a picture behind me of that. But God is the ultimate example to us. Today's lesson is God's choice cosmetic for the home. Let's begin reading Matthew chapter 27 and verse 11. This is, of course, uh, the narrative or the text as Jesus in his last and final days here on the earth, was brought before Pilate to be tried. There was false accusers against him. But he stood before Pilate, the governor, and asked him, saying, in other words, Pilate asked the Lord, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Basically, thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, the religious leaders, he answered nothing. Interesting. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou, uh, hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And verse 14, And he answered him to never a word. Again, repeated, The silence of the Savior in the face of great accusations, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the Passover, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, a favor, courtesy. And they had a notable prisoner, infamous, called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy the religious leaders had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife leaned over and, and sent to him, said to him, have, that, have nothing to do with this just man, for I've suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But overriding her concerns, the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy, interesting words, Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say to him, without exception, Let him be crucified. Crucify him. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands symbolically before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. 
Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers, the governor, took Jesus into the common hall, gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him, put upon him a scarlet robe, and when they had planted a plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand, mocking him. They bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they spit upon him. Took the reed in his hand, the mock, really scepter, and they smote him over his own head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off of him and put his own raiment back on him and led him away to be crucified. We go today, and when we talk about the subject of submission in the home, we start at the chamber of judgment, which Peter will use as a preamble to his instruction about uh, husband and wife relationships in the home. He refers to this. The chamber of judgment in which Pilate is trying Jesus Christ. The disciples by this time have all fled away. And uh, he's standing alone. He's got no friends in Pilate's hall. He's been accused by the Jewish leaders, as you know, falsely accused. No one is standing in his corner as, as an insurrectionist, a rabble rouser, one who would wrongly assume the throne of Israel, claiming to be the king of the Jews. And folks, by the way, not by the way, most certainly he was the king of the Jews, is the king of the Jews, and shall return as the king of the Jews. But he's accused as a false Messiah. And many other things, verse 13 tells us. It wasn't the only thing he was accused for. And Jesus is standing on trial before a man who had the human authority to put him to death. He's surrounded by enemies. And Rome, of course, was suspicious of anyone who claimed uh, unlawful right to rule. The chief priests and Jewish elders were on a mission, as the Bible says, verse 20, to destroy him. As we read the passage, we do well to remember that Peter will use it again as the kind of the introduction to how we ought to relate to one another in the home. This reminder from the submission of Christ. And I want to remind you that there's a day coming when Christ will not be silent. When he comes again, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, he will come with a shout of God, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. It will be such a loud voice that it will raise the dead. The dead in Christ, when they hear that voice, will come up out of the grave. And Jesus, when he comes back as the returning king, will not come with a whisper. He will shout in such a way that all the church will hear him and rise to meet him in the air. But for some reason, at this moment, Christ in this Judgment Hall does not even whisper to Pilate, Hey, Pilate, this whole place is stacked against me. This isn't even fair. In fact, twice the Bible says in the text we've just read, He answers not a word. 
the one who could have called, as the song says, 10,000 angels. He commanded an elite force of angels in heaven who could have come at a, at a whisper and defended his right to rule. You could say this scene causes us to ask the question, why then the silence of this lamb? Why not some sort of voice raised, some sort of argumentation in his own defense? He says nothing. And when given the opportunity to speak, this lamb, as Isaiah 53 would remind us before his shearers, is quiet. Why doesn't he? Let me ask the question this morning. Why doesn't Jesus say anything in his own defense? Verse 14, he answered Pilate, never a word. Why do you suppose it is that Christ didn't say anything? Well, some would say silence would then admit guilt. Certainly Jesus was not guilty of anything. Maybe you would think it's pointless for him. To, I mean, he's surrounded by enemies. He's, it's pointless. It's a, a rigged jury. There's no way that anything he would have said at that moment would have changed. Well, maybe Jesus, he wasn't guilty. He wasn't afraid of, of those in the courtroom. Certainly not. So why was he quiet? Well, as you know, it wasn't his mission at the time, to raise a voice and to turn the table, so to speak, in his own favor. The silence of the Savior was all about what? It was all about his submission to the eternal plan of his Father. Painful though it was, his submission, his quietness, his silence was missional. I threw a slide up there earlier about your family. Do you know that God has a mission for your family. It isn't to be happy and wealthy or to live at the end of a cul-de-sac and have perfect kids and all that. No, he is reflecting his own gospel story through your family. And that's what he's doing. You know, the greatest secret to our spiritual success lies in a continual submission to the will, word, and way of God. That's why God said to those followers that came after him, seeking relief, he says, come of me, if you're looking for relief, come to me. Take my, he didn't say, get on this white stallion here behind me. He says, take, your, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's often caused me to scratch my head. What is it about the humble, lowly Lamb of God that, that caused him for these 33 years to walk around yoked to something. What was he yoked to? Take my, no, we want your scepter. We want your crown. We want your army. We want your power. And he says, no, no. If you want peace in your heart, take, take my missional yoke of submission to my father. I'm here on purpose and so are you. You see, I think many times, and not just ladies, but men as well in the home, we are at the, we're, we're on the wrong mission, aren't we? We're on a mission to bring all things into submission unto ourselves. Isn't that true? To our will, our way, our wants. While God is bringing all things into submission 
unto himself, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Your marriage is a mission, on a mission. You say, no, it isn't, Pastor. My marriage is on the rocks. No, your marriage has a mission from heaven. Now, with this sort of background in mind, God's silence, God's submission to the cross, God's submission to his Father's will, it was very painful for him. And every time I read this, I get choked up. At a man who could snap his fingers and turn a whole circumstance around, who doesn't do that and acquiesces to the pain of the cross for our sake and for the will of his Father. So when we come to the home and teaching on the home, sometimes ladies, oh, here we go again. I should have skipped this lesson. I mean, what I want to know is how to carry a handgun and how to shoot. Take me to the, that's our home. Or I'd rather go to the dentist than hear that word submission, especially from a, a guy. Before Peter even speaks at length to the ladies about this precious adornment, he says, I want you to remember Christ. Now we're ready for First uh, Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. If you can go there and find that, I think it's very instructive for us. And we'll spend a few minutes looking at what Peter says for our homes. Peter's going to transition into husband-wife relationships. But he begins chapter 3 with that little word that is a connector. Likewise, well, like, like what? Well, because of Christ's own submission to his Father, the painful cross for the cause of our reconciliation, and by doing so, he won us to himself. So, ladies, you are to live out, and again, as I mentioned, men, your turn is coming, but you're to live out this truth in your marriages in order to win your husband, and win your family, and win neighbors to Christ. You say, well, my, uh, my husband claims to be a believer, but verse 1, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word... There's a great um, scope to this. It could mean that your husband isn't saved at all. It could mean that he is out of the will of God in a thousand different ways, but he's not being obedient to the Word. This, this perfume, this cosmetic, will be the greatest tool that you have, the sweetest fragrance for a husband that is not obeying the Word, or a neighbor for that matter. It could be that your husband has been unfaithful, disloyal, neglectful, lazy. The list goes on and on, indifferent, harsh, adulterous. You name the disobedience. And most of us who are husbands would have to raise our hands somewhere along the list. We've been one or more of those things. So in marriage, there's all sorts of ways we hurt each other, right? The list could go on and on of the ways that our wives, speaking now in the context of marriage, are hurt by us. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've been hurted or you're the hurter. <laughs> we're, we're all guilty. And yet Peter's going to express to us the greatest cosmetic for hope in this regard. You know, there's all kinds of ways that I slip up in the home. And I'm a preacher. 
I should know better. I bet you slip up too. I bet you offend your spouse, your wife, in many ways. There's all sorts of ways. A man said, I'm an efficiency expert. My job is to consult with large corporations and advise them on how to save money and time by reducing excess motion, wasteful uh, procedures, wasted energy. He said, so I noticed my wife's breakfast routine. She made lots of trips between the refrigerator stove, uh, table, and cabinets. Often, he said, I noticed she would just carry one thing at a time, so I brought this up to her. I said, "Hun, why don't you save time by carrying several things, items at once? And his friend who was hearing this said, did it save time? Well, yes, it did for sure. It used to take her 20 minutes to make breakfast and now I can do it in seven. <laughs> she didn't appreciate his advice and counsel, right? What woman likes to hear you know, we're going to church today, and the preacher's going to preach on subjection. Take me to the dentist. We all hurt each other. Missionary Jorge uh, Villafranca last week reminded us that Paul told us, uh, well, at least in Paul's commissioning service, the Lord said, you will, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom. And the commissioning service in Acts 9, 16 for Paul, you will suffer greatly for my name's sake. Pain. Marital pain is a fact of life and ministry and marriage. So how does it happen in your home? I'm sure you know. And uh, again, I bet this happens all the time. Being made fun of, neglected, being shut out, passed over, being misunderstood, misjudged, rejected by a romantic interest or children run away. You feel like you're underappreciated, you're the object of failed or broken promises, you're marginalized. We were in an estate sale, Robin and I, just a couple days ago, and uh, the ladies that were handling the, the affairs they were selling and transacting business told us about the man who once lived in the house. He had died in his 90s, and she said this, he was a military hero. Survivor of the Iran hostage crisis in 1979, he had plaques and medals all over the place. And she said the sad thing about this is none of his kids wanted one of these treasures, these emblems of bravery in war. And they simply told us they were just the ones that were facilitating the sale. They told us, sell them all, we don't care about them. Maybe you're in a careless marriage. Your husband doesn't care much about you. That's when submission becomes tough. If he only knew all the things that I did for him, and if he only told me in a, in a simple, small way that he appreciated me, that would be wonderful. Hey, we've all been hurt. The Lord, first of all, has demonstrated to us his submission to his Father in the courtroom, right? He's demonstrated this in Pilate's hall. Submission is placing myself under the rank of those around me in order to glorify God and win them to Christ. And then secondly, the principle is graciously shown to us in just how we are to submit in the home. And Peter takes 
six verses or so to explain that. Let's read them. They're, they're in before us here in chapter 3. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word silence again, be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of the wives. While they behold your pure, chaste conversation, again, conduct, combined with fear or reverence, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning, the externals, plating the hair, wearing gold, all this jewelry, the putting on of apparel, fine clothing, but let it be the hidden man, the spirit of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price, much more than a bottle of whatever it costs, Chanel number whatever. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well are not afraid with any amazement. And then... As I mentioned and forewarned, and husbands do come back, please. We'll talk uh, to the men shortly. Well, the second thing I see, not only the principle of, of, of submission demonstrated by Christ, but we see here the principle of submission explained by Peter in the home. It's explained by Peter in terms of marriage. Uh, so often <clears throat> we hear this in counseling uh, when we when we meet with, with wives and husbands, sometimes a wife will come alone and, and we'll hear the story. It's a bitter, ugly saga journey of all these things I've mentioned that can cause hurt. And uh, the wife will start often uh, the marriage by uh, counseling by saying this, Pastor, please do something. Do something about my husband. Do something to change him. He's a rat. <laughs> he does the following, and they pull out a list of 33 things or more. He bothers me. Our love is God, and until he changes, or unless he changes, there has, there's no hope. And, he, and I've tried everything, Pastor. I've tried screaming, nagging, bribing, crying, threatening until divorce. Nothing is working, lady. We stopped them. Have you ever tried biblical submission like Christ? It is the greatest tool you'll ever have for change. The Lord is really speaking to all of us. Back up to chapter 2 and verse 13. The Lord starts this. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, every institution of man. This is even before he gets to the home. He's speaking to all of us. Everyone, governors, we know that government, the institution of marriage is one of the institutions, the church. Uh, he, he lists for, for us some of these things. We're to see it as obligatory. This is not something we can dodge around. Some of you are single saying, I know how I'm going to avoid this. I'm never getting married. I'll take care of that problem. No, submission is a way of life for all of us as Christ was in submission to his Father. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it's commanded in marriage, even when the husband is outside 
of fellowship with God. He obeys not the word. So submission first is obligatory. It's part of God's plan for us. Just as he was submissive to his father. Secondly, submission is, uh, is really necessary even when it's painful. Even when it's painful. You see it, chapter 2 and verse 20. Let's read that verse. Even when it's painful. For what glory is it when you are buffeted for your faults if you take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable. We are to, we are to undergo this with a spirit of patience. Patience. Knowing that it's, it's going to take a while sometimes. And you're at the point where you say, I can't take it anymore. I, I, I've had enough. I'm at my breaking point. The Lord says, no, learn to submit even when it's painful and take it patiently. Thirdly, submission should be, of course, expressed sweetly. Verse 23, who when he was reviled, speaking of Christ, reviled not again, but when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. In other words, when we're going through this time where we are placing ourselves, ourselves under. This is not a forcible thing. Husbands, we're not to take them by the head and push them down. But when we see God's call for us in the home, ladies, to put ourselves under the authority, God-given role of the husband, and to submit, there can't be this spirit of chafing where it said, no, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to like any minute of it. What does the verse say? When Christ was reviled, we just read that text in Matthew 27, he reviled not again. It is natural when your husband says, ladies, when your husband says something that sets you off to respond in kind or not, not being very kind and to say, well, if, if you did that I, or if you said that or that used that tone with me, well, then here's what I'm going to do with you. Who, when he was reviled, the lamb said, Nothing. Reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. God will settle the score, his way, his time. Vengeance is the Lord. He judges righteously. You don't have to take up your cause. You don't. The Lord will certainly settle it in his way. Then, fourthly, we are to understand that this submission uh, at home is an opportunity for witness. I like this. Chapter 3 and verse 1 reminds us that your biblical submission in the home, Peter is reminding us here, to your own husband, even if he doesn't obey the word, even if he's a rascal spiritually, out of fellowship with God, perhaps unsaved, they may, without the word without you preaching at them daily, leaving tracks in their lunchbox, without badgering them with the gospel, they might be won by the conduct of their wives. That sweet spirit that says, even though it's painful to live with you, sir, <laughs> even though it's difficult at this moment, I'm submitting sweetly without argumentation or rebuttal and the spirit that God had as he stood before his accusers and pilots. So I'm going to stand here understanding what? That God has an eternal plan. That God is working things out for, for our good in this marriage. And that through my continual patient response, 
to you, dear husband. And how many stories have we heard about husbands who come to Christ because of the sweet testimony of a wife? Over time, I think of Beverly Thomas, that's her testimony. Over time, Goldie saw in her, some of you don't know who those folks are, but old timers in our church. Goldie just saw in her that sweetness. Ada Barnes has a funeral tomorrow. She's already in glory, but I see in her that same spirit. Mary Richards, who sat back there. It is so easy to get mad when somebody's mad with you. So easy to get harsh and unkind when somebody's harsh and unkind with you. But to stand and take it, knowing that God is working His greater good in us. There's an opportunity for evangelism, an opportunity for witness. Fourthly, you see it there in chapter 3, verse 1, that they might be won by the conversation, the conduct of the wife. How were you won to Christ? It was when you came to the cross with all your sin and saw one bearing it upon the cross, not his own, but yours. And I was melted in my heart when I realized someone is taking my penalty. Someone is standing or taking my place. And all that submission to the Father by the Son won me to Christ. So Peter goes on. This needs to be, chapter 3, verse 2, respectful. Ouch, pastor, really? While they behold your pure conduct, the couplet here is, or the combination is, with fear. You're living a godly life. I appreciate Robin, and I wanted to say this. She, uh, the idea of pure is just sincere Without offense, we're all imperfect, right? But what I like about right, she just does what she says she's going to do and says what she says she's going to say and is who she professes to be, a wife. I mean, kids know, right? Mama is the real deal. She's the real deal. We live with her every day, and she can be trusted. And so you're living this life before your husband and then you add this layer or you couple that lifestyle of continual consistency with respect and reverence for your husband as the Bible says in Ephesians 5, as you submit to, as unto the Lord. It doesn't mean he is near to the category of Christ himself, but he, he is placed there in the home, given to you by God, and so you are to see Him and respond to Him as you would Christ. And that means you are to be uh, always in a spirit of reverence and respect, not in the sense of worship, certainly, but there is a, a courtesy. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ladies, this is tough. God's asking you to do a tough thing. But he wouldn't ask you to do it if he hadn't stood first and showed you, demonstrated for you. The construction of the verse about submitting to your husbands as to the Lord is see him uh, as uh, the, really the, the, the person God has placed in your life to be, to be honored. 
When's the last time, ladies, think about this. <laughs> When's the last time you complimented him with sincerity for something he is or has done for you? You say, Pastor, it is not Father's Day yet. It's June. I'm waiting. I got my card. But is there that spirit in your home of just sweet respect for the man God has given you, imperfect though he is? Is there that respectable speech? Well, you say he's not respectable. God doesn't put that in as a caveat. If any obey not the word, that's even, in, in fact, as you look at the teaching on submission, even to all of us, in chapter, if, you're, if your boss, if your master is, a, is froward, he's silly, or he's foolish, or he's unkind, you are still to submit to him in the spirit of reverence. Ouch, that hurts. Could there be more? <laughs> Who's adorning? Let it be not that outward adorning of all the cosmetics on the outside, but that adorning of the heart, which is in the sight of God, such a treasure. What a wonderful thing it is to see that God calls this an ornamentation of beauty. And I want to say, lest you think I'm just overbearing this morning, ladies, I thank God for our church and for your beautiful uh, cosmetics internally that you wear. It is a joy to be in the company of such ladies who are gracious and kind. You say, you're getting us on, on Sunday. <laughs> but I mean it. It's a privilege. It's not easy to be married to us. We know that. But your spirit is the sweetest thing. And God says, in my sight, that is the greatest treasure. Well, one more thought before we wrap up today. And he ends with this illustration from the life of Sarah. The life of Sarah. As we finish the teaching in verses 3 through 6, we see that God, first of all, really addresses how precious this is. And then he says, I want you to consider the Old Testament ladies, the, especially those married women in the Old Testament. You think, well, what did they have going for them? They trusted in God, verse 5. They adorned themselves, um, certainly, uh, being in subjection to their own husbands. It was a different dynamic culturally. Lots of arranged marriages, uh, and that's even a kind of a double-edged sword. You, 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 I didn't pick you. <laughs> you were just brought to me, and I had to marry you, they could have said. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. What does that all mean? Sarah obviously was not perfect. We know that. She laughed when God said in her old age she would bear a child. We know that she had a, a moment, momentary lapse there of faith. We know from reading the scripture that she wasn't 
above reproach. We know that. And Abraham, certainly, although we revere him as one of the great patriarchs, was not above reproach. And so God brings up by, by intention and on purpose the, uh, the story of Sarah's relationship with Abraham as an illustration, kind of an ending illustration, at least in this text, of how we in the, in the home ought to submit to our husbands. And, she, and the Lord brings up Sarah of all people. Think about Sarah for just a moment. Living in a nice neighborhood in Ur of Chaldea. And the Lord spoke to Abram and said, I want you to go, go out there and I'll direct you. And can you imagine the discussion? Just make it first person and think about how it sounded to this wife, this dear wife who has had it all together, had a nice, probably a nice place to live. Lots of servants and things were going well. And your husband comes in late and said, listen, we're going to leave. We're packing up. We're going. Where are we going? I don't know, but we're leaving. Okay. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Sarah pitched a fit, had a conniption, said, I can't leave. I can't leave this. Are you kidding me? All my friends, school sister, I can't do this. The Bible said, again, the silence seems to be a theme here. Uh, nothing. We don't hear that she complained. She said, okay, yes, sir, I'll follow you. And then on the trip, thinking about the life of Sarah, Peter brings her up. On the trip, two times, two times, not once, twice. You know where I'm going with this? Abram, Abraham, twice in his life. Once when he fled to to Egypt, later in Gerar, or Gerar, he says to his wife, and the Bible says something about Sarah that it doesn't even say about Ruth. It said that she was extremely attractive. And so Abram, trying to spare his own life, says to his wife, would you, when we pass through this particular area, this region, would you tell the onlookers to our entourage here, when they see you, would you tell them that you're my sister? Because if you don't, and if you say that you're married to me, actually, they're going to kill me so that they can have you. Just stop for a moment. You're Sarah. What are you thinking right then? Oh, man, you are my hero. That's a great plan. So she spends a night in Pharaoh's harem and later in Abimelech's harem. Of course, God preserves her both times. But can you imagine her thoughts that night when she's separated because of a lie or a white lie that she's told? Is she thinking of her husband in high regards? No. And then, when God finally gives her a child, Isaac, his name means laughter. The joy that little Isaac brought to her, her, her own flesh and blood. Isaac growing up in her home, and who knows whether it was 14 or older, God, again speaking to her husband, says, I want you to take Isaac and go with me to Mount Moriah, and there I want you to sacrifice this boy to me. Now, God was testing Abram. We know that. God is not a murderer that way, but God was testing Abram. And I can imagine, again, the silence of the Bible concerning 
that moment when in the morning, early, Abram gets up and leaves the tent, Sarah standing, tears coming. She is not kicking and screaming and shouting and grabbing the ankles of Abraham. She's not. The Bible does not say that. I wondered what that phrase meant. You are Sarah's daughters. If you, what does the Bible say? As long as ye do well in this regard and are not afraid with any amazement. What does that mean? It's a little obscure in the King James. It means as long as you do not fear anything that is frightening. The word really in the original. As long as you are not fearful or afraid of anything that is terrorizing and you're trusting God through the midst of all of life's surprises, right? And that's Sarah. Can you imagine how terrorizing it would be to be in a, in a harem in Egypt by the own command of your husband, the own failure of your husband to stand up for you? You are to... You are to be like Sarah, who was not afraid of losing her life, losing her son's life. She was not afraid. She was trusting God, submitting, even through that marriage situation, to a husband that didn't always get it right. And through it all, she just had this trust that God is working it out. I will be submissive, even though things around me are terrorizing me. So, as we wrap it up, we see this, this spirit of submission in Christ himself when it came to the cross. We see it explained by Peter in the home life. And then finally, we see it illustrated in Sarah's trust in difficulty. Again, <clears throat> let it be the hidden man of the heart, verse 4, in the things that are not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, such a great, great price. Ladies, thank you for the exhibition of this in your own lives. May you keep it up. May you foster and promote it, this spirit that is the most beautiful, fragrant ornament you could ever have or wear, the perfume of grace. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.